I don't not know if you have this from two, whatever, three weeks ago since I preached. It is the existence of God is at the top of the paper, the existence of God. And I have no idea if there's more out there or not, if you did not yet uh, get one. Uh, if not, Nathan's checking right now to see if there are any more back there. And if not, we'll get some more made. Anybody need that? Everybody was here. We got, yeah, we got quite a few that need. So thank you, gentlemen. Uh, we are going to be starting on point uh, Roman numeral number five. Roman numeral five is where we're going to be picking up. So we're going to be going to First Corinthians in chapter two to talk about that. Uh, what we talked about when when you deal with the the existence of God. Um, how can I say it? God doesn't need our help to prove He exists. Are you following me? He is, right? He is God, and it's not our job to say, listen, let me show you, you know, He is. Um, but He does choose to use us to preach His Word, to teach about creation, to, you know, with answers to Genesis, what they did, a masterful job of doing that, which I don't have time to do, and just, just a masterful job. And so, so what we're seeing here is in these, in these verses is that, that God is actually talking to us and giving us, first of all, a general revelation that through what he has created, we are able to see there is a God. The problem is man doesn't like to do it the way God has designed it. And that is there's a God who is a designer, he has created, shown us what he has created, designed, and we would rather worship that which we see instead of the one that we cannot see. So there is a general revelation of God. We've talked about the Romans 2 and other places, and, and, but now we're going to talk about the special revelation. And we'll see how these two tie together. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, uh, I've mentioned this chapter before. If you are not familiar with this chapter, you should be. Okay? Um, when you're studying the Bible, there are premier portions of Scripture that deal with specific things that we really need to, to wrap our brains around that gives us the capsule of what you can get bits and parts from other chapters and pull it together. But here is a chapter that really uh, encapsulates the, the whole of, of what we're talking about, and, and that is about our God and how he has revealed himself. Matter of fact, next Wednesday I might be pulling from this chapter also when I'm preaching. Uh, but there, there is a wisdom that's mentioned in verse 6 two times, verse number 7. We speak the wisdom of God. This is not the wisdom of man. This is something that directly comes from God, and you can't go out and pick up a rock and find it. Okay? This is something that comes from God. You're not going to look at the stars and say, oh, there it is. Okay? This is not something you're going to get from nature. And we are in a day and age, I will bring this up now, I'll bring it up a hundred times through this series, is, is man is really twisted in America, is really twisted, and Christians are getting really twisted with trying to involve, if you will, creation, making it okay to almost fall in love, if you will, with, in, in, in an equal way of, of God that we almost worship the creation and the nature, and it's almost like let's walk around with a rock in our pocket feeling good about ourselves, and let's rub it together and get some good luck from it. Okay? This is... This is Okay, the, the, the gold, the jewelry, and it's just like, it's like we're almost worshiping stuff 
Okay, we're almost depending on it. You know, I'm going to feel good. You know, I'm going to pray to these beads. and okay. That's called idolatry. Okay, so that kind of wisdom that First Corinthians 2 talks about is not what comes from a rock or a tree. It comes directly from God. Verse 7, we speak the wisdom of God. It is in a mystery. In other words, it's something that has been hidden, revealed now, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. In other words, there's an honor that's going to be coming our way as a result of this, which none of the princes of the world knew. Had they known, they would not even crucify the Lord of glory. They didn't get their brains around it. They were ignorant of what they were doing even at the crucifixion. But, as it is written, I did this on purpose, I has not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the hard man, the things that God has prepared for him, them that love him. So, we always look at that text talking about what? Heaven. Did it talk about heaven? Not necessarily. They go back to the previous church and talk, uh, verse and talk about the glory and so forth that's going to be there. But, but it's, it's, that's not what he's talking about. He's, he's going to explain it. So there's something that's been a mystery, something that's been hidden, and it's like it's been concealed, but verse 10 helps you to realize it. But God hath revealed unto us by his spirit well what's he revealed the things that were hidden are now revealed to you and i it's the hidden that's the deep things of god god has revealed them to us folks we are not ignorant of our god we are not ignorant of who he is what He has done, His glory, His revelation, what He expects of us, the pictures, the beauty of, of our Savior uh, through, through all, the, the, the bloodline that flows from Genesis to the Revelation. All of these things are now openly revealed to you and I, but it is done by His Spirit, not by general revelation. It is a special revelation that has come from God to reveal Himself. Then he goes on and says, But what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. So, no one can know God without having His Spirit inside of us. The only way I would ever be able to know you and know what you feel, know what you, how you think and so forth, is to have your spirit inside of me. Then I'd be like, oh, that's what you're going through. But I can't do that, can I? No. The only spirit I know is my own spirit, right? So what God says is, I'm going I'm to show you what I'm going to do. Since, since uh, I know you, I can be in you, what I'm going to do is have myself, my, by my Spirit of God, I'm going to place Him inside of you, the, the believer, the moment you are saved, and that way you can know me. We can know God because we have Him in us. And without that special Holy Spirit abiding inside of us, it would be impossible for us to have any kind of a knowledge of our God, even though we have the Bible. Even though we have His general revelation. We have to have it through the person of the Spirit of God. We've received not the Spirit of the world, verse 12, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So God has this... You know, it's like Christmas. He's got this huge, huge basket full of gifts, and he's like, you want it? He's like, okay, 
here's grace. Okay, here's mercy. Here's some truth for you. And he's got all of these things that have been freely given to us. And what we get the privilege of doing all of our life here is diving into the Word of God to discover, because the Spirit of God is inside of us, discovering everything God did to save you. That's the pleasure we have as Christians, is we get to find out what God already did for us. Now we could say, well, I'm just going to go to heaven and appreciate it. Well, you could do that. But there's just something about getting to know God, His existence, understanding what He has done for you and I. Drop down to verse 13, which things we speak, not in the words of man's wisdom teacheth, uh, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That's what we are doing. Now notice verse 14, but the natural man. Now who's the natural man? The unsaved man, okay? We have the spiritual man, that's what we're achieving to be. We have the carnal, which we see as believers that are not walking in the spirit. And then we have the natural man. The natural man is the unsaved man. Now what he tells us is this. But the, the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God. Why? They are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. This special revelation comes as a result of the Father working inside of the unsaved person, using His Spirit to convict Him of His need of believing in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They can't do this on their own. You can't look at a rock and say, I want Jesus, because Jesus is a rock. They're not going to get that from looking at a rock. Okay? There has to be, as we're going to see, this the special revelation that comes from the Word of God. Once the Word of God has been embraced and believed that the gospel is for the individual, I was 19, I'm like, I don't understand it all, but I need Jesus. So I invited Christ in, and at that moment, the Spirit of God came inside of me. Okay? And this special thing then is of the Spirit of God revealing Himself to the believer. Then from there what happens is the heart begins to yearn to get to know God more. Just like the young guy that goes and finds out this girl, you know, might like him. So they go out on their first date. He's head over heels. And all that he's doing on his way home when he's driving home is he's thinking about her. All he wants to do is get on the phone and call her and talk to her again, even though he just left. He can't sleep at night. The next morning, he has to go to work, driving him nuts all the time at work. He can't wait to get off so he can do what? Call the girl, because he wants to know her. He wants to have this connection. You know why? He loves. When we get a knowledge and understanding of our God... We want to hang out with Him. We want to get to know Him more. It's not, okay, thank you so much for saving me. You have a good life, Lord. I'll see you when I get to heaven. I got the rest of this on my own. It doesn't work that way. We want to have this relationship, walking and abiding with Him. Oh, that we would have been able on this earth to understand what Adam had before the fall. That walk with God that was the sweetest that ever a man ever had here on this earth outside of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, the natural man, he needs to get saved. 
once he is saved, then, verse 15, he that is spiritual judges all things that he himself is judged of no man. There's a spiritual discernment that he has. This is the special revelation. Now, let me, let me make haste a little bit because I've got to get moving. Uh, number six, the special revelation is accepted by faith. We understand that verse. So the faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So that's God's special revelation to us about himself and his existence, his creation, etc., is through faith believing. This special revelation is also sufficient for salvation. The Romans 10, you guys know this. Romans 10, uh, 13, um, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then he goes through that whole thing. How are they going to hear without a preacher? And how are they going to preach unless they're sent, etc.? So that whole flow of how the gospel, which is the revelation of who God is, that special revelation has to be preached. And once the Word of God is there, then the heart is then opened up to be able to receive the special revelation. But the Indian mentality was, smoke something is going to get you into la-la land, you're going to start seeing visions, and you're going to start getting in touch with the spirit side, and that is their, it's their escape and their touch into their gods. And they begin to have visions, they begin to see things, envision things, whether it's imaginative, who knows there is an evil spirit world out there, and that spiritism that is, it is influencing not just um, England and all of those areas of Europe, it is now in the United States of America, and it is rampant, folks. Big, big, big time. They have flowed through the doors of this church. They have heard messages just like this on the gospel, and Jesus is the only way, and they walk right out saying, hey, would, let me explain to you how important this rock is to you. Okay? And I'm not kidding you. And if you just, you know, just have it with you, it's going to give you comfort. And, you're, and, and you, you say, people don't, yes, they do. Okay? Okay. Anyways, special revelation. This is sufficient for some salvation. Uh, I do not understand exactly, as the one song says how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin. I, I don't get it either. And, but as he says, but I know who I have believed in, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. There's a lot of things I don't know exactly how it happens. I don't even know, folks, when I look back at that time period of my life, how in the world God worked this whole thing out, that I met Lori, that I got to church, and that I got saved, that was all a blur to me. All that I did is found myself one day standing in the pulpit preaching, you know, thinking, how in the world did I get here? And here we are. And 23 years, I think it is later of doing this, it's just like, it's, it's still new, because it's an amazing grace. And you stop and you see what God has been doing in your life. And it's as a result of the Spirit of God's work through His Word in your life. And it's, it's an amazing thing. That's, that's why Jesus talked about it in John 3. When he, when he talked about the Spirit you know, does this moving where it wants to. Where it, listen, you, you hear, you know, just like the wind. You, you hear the sound, and, 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 but you can't tell where it's coming and where it's going. He says, so is everyone that's born of the Spirit. We're just... It's, it's just a leading and guiding, and this is God's special revelation 
uh, through the Word, in our lives, through His precious Spirit. The need for special revelation is absolutely imperative. Mankind will never appreciate or understand the general revelation until he believes and accepts the special revelation. When a person is saved by, they appreciate creation in a new and fresh outlook. They see their self as part of the plan of God for this world. So the last point is the existence of God, even what we're, we're, we're dealing with now to conclude is absolutely assumed in the scriptures. And, and here's a bunch of verses, but I do want to clarify the one. It's in Exodus, there's 3 verse 14, and, and then there's chapter 20, and it should be verses 1 through 6, not verse 16. I apologize for that. That's the one we're going to look at. Exodus, and chapter number 20. Anybody know what's in that portion of scripture before we get there? Very good, the commandments, right? Now we're going to see how God starts this whole thing out with Moses to say, listen, here is the capsule, the, the ten that would summarize man's responsibility to me, mine to them, man to each other, and so here's where it's wrapped up. God spake all these words saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath and that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am jealous." A jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of thy Lord God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And I did go to that verse on purpose. So we have God saying, listen, I'm not a rock. You don't build a statue and put a kneeling bench in front of it and kneel down and begin to pray through this rock or this emblem, this image, and think that you are achieving any access to me or access to any other God. You can't make me. Okay? Because God is a spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. There is no other way. I talked to one person, they... Uh, had this form of religion. You might guess who I'm talking about. And they had these statues of dead people. And they had kneeling benches in front of them. I was going through their church. And I asked the one, I said, so, so these are idols? And they said, oh, no, 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 these aren't idols. I said, what are kneeling benches there for? Oh, this is, this is for us to pray. I said, why do you have the kneeling benches facing the rocks here? These images of these people. These dead people, these dead saints. And you could tell the person had no idea what to say about that. Why would you have a kneeling bench in front of an image that is made of plaster or rock or whatever, and you begin to pray vicariously through these dead people? You don't pray through anybody except for Jesus. There's one God, there's one mediator between God and men, it's the man Christ Jesus. And there is no other way. God's saying, none. Now, with this whole thing, he begins to talk of his jealousy. Saying, listen, 
If you start worshiping anything else, then as a jealous husband who found out his wife is having an affair, wants wants to knock the lights out of this other guy because he's jealous, our God is saying, if you go worship those things which are satanic, I'm jealous because I made you. And Satan is trying to get that worship. And I will not have that. I will not allow that. I will bring a judgment down to you and your children and your children's children and keep bringing it down. And by the way, do do you think there's any way of, of stopping that being sent down from generation to generation? Now think about this, there is. Salvation. But these are in unbelief. And God says, I'm going to keep whooping you. I'm going to keep judging you. I'm going to keep judging you. I'm going to keep judging you. Until you're broken. And that's what the book of Judges was was all about, wasn't it? Hmm? Okay. So, the names of God. Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name, name, in vain. Okay, so, um, drives me crazy. You're just around schools, you're around kids, you're around... And it is nothing to hear the kids say, I'm trying to teach you here, and I'm in no way being disrespectful to my God, and I'm not going to finish the whole phrase, but you'll hear them say, oh my, and you can fill in the blank. And not even thinking of what they're saying. It is now an expression of, this is such a big thing. And it is like a junior high giddy way of saying that name that they are they are taking that name in vain. There is no purpose for it being said. So parents, if your kids come home and say that, whoop them. Teach them. You have just blasphemed our God's name. It is a name above every name. That even at the name of Jesus himself, every knee is going to bow and tongue confess. So we don't use that name in vain. These are some of the names of our God. And I need to make haste, because we're going to get this done tonight. The first one is the most obvious, and we have seen the Exodus uh, chapter 3 text, so we're going to go to Exodus, excuse me, Genesis in chapter number 2 text. Now, as you're turning there, uh, the... You say, why did the English decide to, to do this? I have no idea. But this is how it's translated in, in the English Bible. Um, and that is the word Jehovah is translated capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Okay, So that is Lord, the I am Jehovah. That's the name. Here in Genesis 2, verse 4, it says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord, you'll see all of that is capitalized. God made the earth and the heavens. Okay? And you say, well, in Genesis 1, 1, it said, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's exactly right. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to tie some of this together in just a moment. You'll also remember that in Exodus 20, he talks of that same thing. You are not going to take the name of the Lord. You don't take Jehovah's name in vain. The name Jehovah is so sweetly associated 
with, with the nation of Israel. Jehovah is the name of the God of Israel. And you say, why don't we really use it? Well, we're going to talk about the New Testament and how there's names in the New Testament also. Lord and God are there. And it's a different, curious is, is the name for Lord that we would use even for the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so uh, I'm not saying it's wrong to use that name. It is absolutely an appropriate name to give to our God as the great I am, and, it is, and he is found in the person of Jesus Christ, if you do not know that. And we'll be proving that down the road here when we walk through the Gospel of John, and we're going to see the great I am's in the Gospel of John, and Jesus Christ proving that he is the great I am. Okay, so, so now we have this name, Jehovah and we don't take his name in vain. Adonai is the next one. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. It says here in chapter 6 and verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord. Now, do you notice the word Lord there? That it is not capitalized the whole way across. You see that? So that is the second one, Adonai. My Lord or my Master. Saying, so the Lord, the Master says to him, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I. Uh, Send me. You're familiar with that text. So it's interesting that God, in His inspired Word, uses this now, Adonai, saying, I am the Master. I am Lord of you. Who's going to go? Who's going to put themselves underneath me to submit to me and be willing to go? And this is where Isaiah gives his yielded spirit and says, Here am I. I will go. And I will tell the people and I will be the messenger. And then we'll, that's why, folks, when we go, and we're going to talk about to our Lord Jesus Christ, and he tells us as the church and the Great Commission, go, it is at that point where we look at the Savior as Lord. You follow me? And we yield to him because he's our master. He's over top of us. And we submit ourselves uh, then to him. Elohim is the next one. This, this is the third one down. Uh, this is probably the most common name for God in the Old Testament. Oh, uh, 2,600 times this word is there. Okay, so it gives you that. Uh, Elohim is the strong one. The one to be feared. In the beginning, God created. Now, this word, Elohim, is a plural Name. And you say, how, it's almost like names. It's, it's plural. You say, but wait a minute. Doesn't the, the prayer, and I, you know, our Lord God, He is one God. That's exactly right. And so God shows in creation plurality for a purpose. Now, folks, the reason I'm showing this is this. God, through His Word, is, is showing His existence, showing who He is. By using unique names in unique situations, he's proving what he is in that situation. So as creator, he is Elohim. 
That's why when you look down through, you're going to see the Spirit moving upon the face of the deep. In chapter 26, we see God talking with himself. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let's create him. So we see that is the son and the father communing, talking about how man was going to be created. The Spirit of God also in part of all that creation. Then you jump over to John chapter 1. In the beginning, God create. excuse me. Uh, in the beginning, the Word was with God. The Word was God. The same as in the beginning with God. And he talks about all things were created by him. Who is the Word? Jesus Christ. So when God said, let there be light, guess who that was? Jesus. Okay? So the Word of God, Jesus, we have the Spirit of God, we have God the Father, all part of creation. Proven it? Colossians 1. We're going to talk about all this. We get a little into the Christology and some other of the doctrines. And so, so we see all of him. That's where this plurality, uh, and, and it deals with the strong one. Our God is, you know, there's nothing greater than creating a universe by speaking it into existence from absolutely nothing. I'd say that's pretty strong proof of his name. El Shaddai, Almighty God, is in Genesis 17.1. And we do need to roll quicker so we can get it done before you dear Awana parents need to slip out. Chapter 17, verse 1. In this text, this is when God was confirming his covenant with Abraham. Uh, His name was Abram. This is the text where he changes it to Abraham because he's going to be the father of what? Say that again. Many nations. God never said that, that, Abraham, you're going to be the father of Israel only. The father of many nations. That's why you and I, because this covenant with him was for many nations, we can be considered the children of Abraham by faith because he is not the father of Israel only. He is the father of us all. Picturing of our God being the father of us all. So Abraham was 90 years old and nine. And here it is, the Lord. Now, now which one would that be? Which one? Jehovah appeared to Abraham, or Abram, and said unto him, I, the Almighty God. And this is where we get that phrase, El Shaddai. Mighty God. So Shaddai talks about, is, is translated there, uh, Almighty And then we have uh, Shaddai, meaning the one who is sufficient. He is mighty. He's capable of doing it. And God there is El, not uh, always Elohim, but El is another uh, way. So he tells him, walk before me and be thou perfect. Another name for our God. Look over to chapter, yeah, we're going to do it this way. Chapter 14 of Genesis. This is a good one. Genesis 14, verses 18 and 19. Uh, we've studied in Hebrews, the end of chapter 6, and into chapter 7, about uh, a king, a priest, whose name was, was Melchizedek. Remember this, this man? Okay, this is that scene, that setting, when, when Abram is with him and gives him tithes. Verse 18, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread, wine, was the priest of the, notice this, the most high God. That's the phrase. And he blessed him and blessed 
be Abram of the Most High God. That is El Elyon. El Elyon. And that has to do with our God being the Most High. Because the world, they have their gods. But our God is the creator of all things. So he is the God above all others. The Most High God. El Elyon. Um, now, the interesting part. Look over with me to Isaiah in chapter 14. In a lot of the ways, this, this, this chapter kind of, after seeing it this way and in this light, it kind of gets your blood boiling just a little bit. Isaiah 14. Verse 12, we'll start. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst awaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the size of the earth. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like... He's calling himself the most high God. Doesn't that make you burn? That Satan would even have the thought to consider himself to be equal with or to take the place of the most high God, Elyon. Uh, Exodus says, I will have no other gods before me. I want you to follow this train of thought. If we have anything out there that we are worshiping more than our God, that he, it has become our God, in that way, it becomes an idol. And in that way, we begin to put Satan on the throne that belongs to God. That's how deep this is, folks. He says, my little children, keep yourselves from idols. You know who he's talking to there in John? Us. That we have to guard ourselves. That we would not have anything out there that would become an idol to us. That we would worship it and put it on the, on the pedestal, if you will, in God's place. And if we do, and I'm not taking anything out of text, we have just taken God off the throne and we put something that we've created on there and Satan says, thank you so much. And he absolutely loves it. In the New Testament, uh, theos is the most uh, common word or name for our God. And that's the one used over 1,300 times. And uh, John chapter 20, and we're there for the next two, and then we're almost done. And you'll remember this text once we get there. This is where doubting Thomas is on the scene. Jesus has already revealed himself, and uh, Thomas wasn't there. And so they said, hey, Thomas, he was here. And he says, I won't believe until you know I've, I've uh, placed that uh, hand in his side and, and, uh, and see the prints of the nails in his hands, and, and I won't won't believe. That's the end of verse number 25. Well, of course, Jesus comes back. 
And this is what he says in verse 27. Then said he to Thomas, reach hither your finger. Behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. There's a gaping wound there. Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, here it is, my Lord, curious, and my God, Theos. Both of them in one verse. Um, we're going to be building cases as we're examining this text and in this text. But what do you see as probably one of the greatest texts and greatest ways of building the case for Christ and who He really is? What is the case from this text right here that you and I can build? Besides my deep theologians here. What are you seeing? What do you see when you see Thomas looking at Jesus and saying, my Lord and my God? We see that again? Okay, so Thomas's humility and fear of God. So fear of God, whom? Which one? So, the resurrected Savior is standing before him, appears, and he says, go ahead and touch, go ahead and put your hand in, and as he humbly falls down, the name that he gives to Jesus Christ are two. And they are the names of our God, Lord and God. And Jesus is both Lord, Master, and He is God. Now, if that were not so, would Jesus not have then stopped Him? Wouldn't He have said, no, there's only one God, and I'm not Him. If there's ever a place for Jesus to denounce His deity, this would have been the one. But look what He says. Jesus said unto him, in verse 29, Thomas, because thou hast seen Me... Thou hast believed, and blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. For us to be saved, we must believe that our Savior Jesus Christ is both Lord and God. To deny Him as God is meaning you are believing in another Jesus. That's why they are false Jehovah's Witnesses. Because they do not believe in the same Jesus that you and I believe in. Theirs is a glorified angel. Theirs is not this God that Thomas fell down and began to worship. And there is a distinction. And so both those names are there. Curse the Lord is over 700 times. And the last one is Luke 11. I'm sorry, there's another one. I can explain that one pretty quick though. Luke 11. Because we see the concept in the old and new. But Luke 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke. There it is. And verse number two. You will remember this one is the Lord teaching people how to pray. And he said unto them, when ye, when ye pray, say, Our Father. Who is Jesus telling the disciples to address? The Father. But who, was the, who is the Father? He is, he is God. So Jesus is teaching to pray to the Father. And so our Father would be another name. Uh, 
you, you know the, the paternal, the, the father, and that's the Greek word, pater. So it is the P-A-T-E-R, the father, and he is our heavenly father that we pray to. And Emmanuel, you'll remember that one from the Old Testament, that it, it is an interpreted God with us. Isaiah 7 and verse 14 is this name that the Old Testament also uh, gives. Now, I want you to notice something. These are not names that man made up for God. You follow me? These all are the names that God gave of Himself to man. There are places like Genesis 22 and verse 14. That is the text where Abraham is on the mount, uh, Moriah. He is about to, to sacrifice his son Isaac. And remember how he, he uh, uh, was ready to pierce his breast and the angel comes and says, don't do it, you know, and he doesn't and he sees the ram. And so he at that point says that the name of this mount, the name of this place is now going to be called, does anybody know it? Jehovah Jireh, meaning that God sees, God will provide for himself. So it's as though God is seeing it, so God is going to supply. But he didn't say that was God's name. He said, that's the name of this place. See the difference? Now that's a proper name for our God. No doubt we can call him Jehovah Jireh. But it is something that we are seeing it as God supplying. These that I gave you as God says, I am the Lord God. I am the Almighty I am the Most High God. I am Lord. I am Jehovah, the self-existing one. This is who I am. And through the Scriptures, when you start zeroing in, and we didn't have time to look at the one, but over and over again, we go into it seeing the Scriptures saying, of course He is. And it's almost like um, a lot of people, as they look at the Word, they look at it as, uh, as though they're skeptic. Prove, prove it to me. Well, I realize there's a lot that, like Thomas, they doubt and they need some proof. I was watching uh, on uh, the History Channel, I think it was the other day, I was bored. I turned that on. And, uh, and it's like, this is how the world began. How the earth was... And so this philosophy was there were these meteors that were hitting... Uh, the earth at that time, creating a huge ball of lava that eventually, through the billions and billions of years, cooled down and the evolution begins from there. And the first question I had was what? Yeah, where'd they come from? Right? There has to be a beginning. It can't matter has not always been as we know it. There was a beginning. And that's in the, in the beginning of this whole thing. It said up to this time, the only the church fathers were the ones that preached it. Genesis chapter 1 was all of the only way that we could ever believe that this earth came into existence. Mocking it to say, no, we have scientific evidence now that meteors, these hot balls hitting, and they animated it for us. So we could see these meteors hitting, we could see lava flowing, and we could see all of these things. You have to believe this, they're saying. That's not science as we've learned, is it? Our God is created. And He's an awesome God. And so, let's keep Him first, huh? 
Yeah, Father, we love you. We thank you for the time of your word. We've had a chance to do it. And uh, what a privilege we have in this great nation to be able to set aside a night like this, bring our Bibles, and dig in, and get to know you a little bit more. Lord, we love you. And we thank you that you are our creator, our God. And we thank you, Lord, for, for your name, of who you are. You've explained to us your existence, your power, your might, and that there's none above you. So, Lord, help us to never put anything above you. Help us, Lord, to keep you first in our hearts and our lives. Bless, Lord, and we'll thank you for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen.